I'm going to break into Old Man River now, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't because... You'd see Matt out on the porch, on the rocking chair. <laughs> Strumming my band. With the little, the, little, the little crocheted lap rug. Get off oh, my land. <laughs> Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud sponsors of Brews News and this in particular, which is Brews News Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me this week is none other than Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Pete, or good evening whenever people are listening to it. But it's good morning to you, Pete. That's it. Thank you very much. But not that. I know you want more. It's as if a mat wasn't good enough. Would you please welcome back to the microphone, the Belle of Bradford, the <laughs> la- first lady of Leeds from Yorkshire. It's Claire Burnett. G'day, Claire. Now then, Pete. How are you doing? I'm very well. Welcome back. <laughs> what an entrance. That was great. Oh, look, I, you know, I thought I'd better talk it up a little bit for you just to make you feel special. <laughs> oh, thanks, love. I've, well, thanks for inviting me back again. I keep and that's right. now, look, to be I- kicked off. No, no, great, uh, great feedback. Um, the response that I've, I've seen has been great. And um, I think it's, you know, it just adds an, another voice to the show. And as we discussed uh, offline, um, when Matt and I first sort of started doing this thing many, many years ago, uh, the idea was that it wasn't just going to be him and I talking, although that's kind of the way it became, um, because we were the only ones who were sort of, I guess, regular, you know, available enough um, and who would work for nothing um, weekly to do it. But the idea was that it would be more of a, a sort of a panel, you know, more more voices to, to get more of a, a debate discussion kind of thing going. And uh, I guess nowadays, with the particularly with the Facebook group page, we've been able to extend, you know, it, it's not immediate, which would be ideal, but at least when you guys all listen to it out there, you can, uh, you know, chip in, weigh in, give us your opinions, and then we can sort of feed off that. So it's good. It's funny because when we when I first d- decided that, well, the one thing that Bruce News really needs is a podcast. Um, it was I'd been listening to a tech podcast called This Week in Tech that was basically that format, Pete, where you had a group of people in the industry bringing a variety of points of view. And as we did talk about off mic, um, technology defeated us a little bit. So trying to get four people and record the conversation because. There was very little infrastructure for podcasting at that at that stage. So yeah, no, it, it's great as the um, sort of team broadens. It's a little bit easier to to bring a variety of perspectives. And uh, yeah, and next week um, we've had such a good response to the Jimmy Gold episode. Um, that, yeah, good uh, was that? Yeah, so and because of Jim's uh, experience, which is a little bit different from ours and a little bit different from uh, Claire's, we are going to you know sort of add augment the group that we get on the, on the podcast each week. Because to be quite honest, Pete, I'm I get sick of the sound of my own voice, and if I do, I can't imagine what it's like for others. <laughs> Big week in beer this week, so let's get straight into the news. As we say, Brews News Week, the idea of this particular um, channel on our podcast, or this particular platform on the, on the podcast, is uh, to help you to catch up with the news, um, most of which Claire has written, so it's good to have her there so that she can um, sort of uh, bask in her own glory. <laughs> uh, but Matt, this one probably uh, I, I saw you uh, weigh into quite a bit um, online, there's uh, the, the headline reads, Dismay over pirate life's inclusion in local festival, which concerns uh, the WA 
uh, brewers who have voiced their disappointment at the announcement that Pirate Life would feature heavily in this year's Southwest Craft Beer Festival, a festival that's normally reserved for local brewers only. The festival, which excludes Western Australian brewers who are not from the Southwest region, is set to be held uh, this coming weekend. WA brewers featured on the lineup include Artisan, Beer Farm, Bootleg, Cheeky Monkey, Bush Shack, Colonial, and Rocky Ridge. The last-minute announcement that Pirate Life would be running uh, the one-off tasting bar with eight new one-off beers, um, quote, was made publicly on Tuesday the 4th of Feb, uh, just under two weeks before the event date. And, uh, Matt, yeah, you, as I said, you um, uh, sort of reached out and uh, got a bit of comment on the story. Well, I, I, I did, and hat tip to our Facebook group. You know, it was one of those conversations that, came about that we were became aware of the issue from the Facebook group. But to, to be honest, Pete, um, Claire did all of the work on this one. She reached out and spoke to all of the players. So it's probably, uh, and, and there's, you know, like most stories, there's a little bit more than you can actually report. Um, so Yeah, I mean, well, that's that was the interesting thing. And, and annoyingly, things kept coming out after we'd ended up publishing the story. So I think what Brendan said, he wrapped it up really nicely. Like, the issue wasn't necessarily that pirate life were going to be there like yeah they're a big brewer that'd be fine it was more the execution of it it was like babe it's not how you what you said it's the way you said it type of thing um and telling brewers who'd already signed up months ago um two weeks beforehand just sort of stung i believe um as you well, you'd think it would. So they signed up not knowing that Pirate Life would um, be there. Pirate Life did actually pay a quite, well, we don't know how, how much, but they paid an exhibitor fee. Apparently, nobody else pays exhibitor fees. The organisers take a 40% cut um, of whatever's made, but they don't actually have to pay to be there, but Pirate Life did. Um, so it's just, it's a tricky one, I think, because you know that you totally understand why they are a bit disappointed it's it's a it was a bit of a crappy way to do it the execution of it was a bit poor and i think the uh, it came out after that the organizer had actually gone to pirate life so pirate life hadn't gone to them according to them um they'd gone to pirate life and said do you want to be part of this and apparently that just those discussions were ongoing for probably about three months and none of the brewers were made aware that that was even happening in the background they were only told uh when the deal was done basically which was what beginning of february like very early on but so, still just to clarify geographically does pirate life have a, a footprint in the in the southwest that would qualify them to be part of the the southwest craft beer festival uh short answer no um they are going to be setting up in perth but perth brewers aren't allowed to be in the uh, no, yeah because there's no, no other perth brewers yeah there. yeah and that i mean that's been a point of contention i believe previously that perth brew well not contention but i think perth, perth brewers have always wanted to sort of be in there and um like brendan um day from Wabba said um you know they've got more of a connection with the southwest than a South South Australian brewery. Um, they made the connection that their brewer, a bloke called Jared, I believe, um, he is from the southwest, um, and so he'd gone back and he was going to be running the bar and stuff, which is all well and good. Um, but but they haven't actually got a presence there, so it was more that they'd basically said, "Look, this is for Southwest brewers only." But Pirate Life's an exception, and we'll ha we'll have them. Um, whether it's because they're a big name, um, the organisers said they wanted to refresh it and adapt it and all that kind of marketing jazz. Um, but yeah, it didn't go down well. And I think that's the, the, the big issue. Everyone, the, the people are quite upset um, about, and, and there's probably a little bit more upset than anybody 
said in their quotes, but that's because they're all very understanding that events are hard to run, um, you know, that they're expensive, that, you know, people are always going to miss out. But it was a case of Wobba had, which represents all of the Western Australian breweries, uh, you know, had been supporting the event. Perth brewers were keen to be involved, had been told, well, no, this is only for um, Western Australia. And then to suddenly see the event organisers reach out to a brewery from out of state and then try and make the fit by saying, oh, he's a, he's a local already. I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't have to scratch the Perth brewing industry too deeply to, to or you know, shake the tree too hard to have a whole lot of um, Southwest brewers fall out of the breweries there as well. And so, yeah, so it's an event that promises to be one thing, excludes people um, who would have a strong claim to be there. Um, and, it, you know, it... it, it just one of those those issues that you, you you do see. So yeah, I mean, I know Claire's here, but I thought it was uh, you know really well handled of a you know, of a fairly touchy subject, but able to sort of highlight the issue in, in in a responsible way. Yeah, and good to clarify too that it wasn't you know a, 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 here's a large amount of cash we couldn't say no to it because that's that's certainly what it looked like. Um, and just to clarify, so for the. Yeah, for, um, for, for listeners out there uh, who are wondering who this Jared person is, I've never heard of him referred to as Jared, but that red, red Proudfoot <laughs> from, from Pirate Life. Who, but yeah, is, I thought is, I'd be you proper, know, okay? <laughs> a local, oh, he, I, I don't think he oh, – I tried to call him Jared once deliberately just to get – and uh, did raise his hackles, and he's a big Ooh. unit, so you don't want to get on the wrong side of him. But he's a lovely Thanks, bloke. Yeah, no. um, Sorry, Red. But, but yeah, it's sort of it, – it, it, the fact that, oh, we've made this one exception, well, then it kind of – it's no longer – you know, the Southwest Craft Beer Festival, because next year, presumably, if you've made one exception before, you can make any number of exceptions, you know, mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they made the point as well that the Southwest is, a, like, as an area, all the brewers are so spread out. Like, you can't go to all the Southwest breweries in one go. It's not the inner west in Sydney. It's not even, like, Brisbane CBD or Melbourne or one of the, one of the suburbs of Melbourne. It's really far out. There's a lot, like they never have a chance to come together. Not you. If you go there, you can't visit them all in one day, basically. And this is the only chance they get to just sort of wave the flag for the Southwest and sort of just to to bring that in. Yeah, was was a little bit of a kick in the teeth, I believe. But yeah, I mean, hopefully yeah. they'll learn from it and um, potentially just deal with it a little bit better next time. If they're gonna, you know fly their flag and say, look, this is Southwest, then keep it Southwest, or at least involve uh, Pirate Life or whoever else it might be in a way that doesn't alienate the Southwest brewers as well. Have, a, have an end friends bar for the Perth brewers, for example. Yeah, that's, that's still, cool. You know, that, that, that sort of thing. But, you know, Pete, this is, this is one of the things that, you know, the industry is grappling with. Um, you know, you've, uh, events are very, very hard. There was an interesting article on Crafty Pint looking at the rise of micro events which is taking a lead from what's going on in the US where you have a brewery has an invitational or a you know a, a craft focused bottle shop has a you know festival um, which is almost an outgrowth of the traditional tap takeover the model that people are facing is constantly evolving in the face of what else goes on in the industry and when you read the festival organizer from the southwest festival you know saying look we need to constantly you know introduce new things and and keep things interesting that's you, you can feel or understand that they are trying to give people a reason to come year on year because of you know of the way that festivals are and you're just left with the feeling that maybe in trying to introduce that um 
they've you know done it the wrong way or you know and but we'll see afterwards you know we'll still see what the response is and how many brewers are involved next year and and, and that sort of thing but it, it, it's incredibly hard for people that are pulling these things together yeah absolutely if you keep saying that we need to adapt we need to adapt bringing all these um, bigger brewers that potentially bring more money pizzazz reputation whatever the, the case may be um to the table you're going to end up with festivals that are all the bloody same anyway well, and, and, and that's the, the, the big issue, and that's why we've seen, you know, um, Beer Insider always marked itself out um, as being, you know, a music festival with beer. Um, they were they had a very strict policy about not including, you know, it was for independent breweries only, and, uh, you know, they, they pretty much issued don't come next year notices, you know, very nicely because you know, they're, they're very collaborative, but to, to the breweries as they got bought out um and gabs had its own thing you know gabs i think pioneered the one-off um gabs beer pete is that a a fair observation as in the festival beers yeah the festival beers they were one of the first events that expected brewers to brew a one-off beer for their event as one of the reasons to to come along and that's something that pretty much everyone is doing these days yeah, all breweries certainly are looking to take the opportunity to release a beer that, oh, we were going to release it in, you know, the 3rd of Feb, but we'll release it on the 15th of January at this beer festival. Mm-hmm. Um, Organisers of festivals like that because it does give them, a, again, that point of difference and, a, a you know, another reason to, to come along. But, um, yeah, as we said, to cut that one off, um, it's just always difficult when you go out of your way sort of, I guess, to, to make an exception. Uh, you just need to sort of um, be a little bit careful, um, how the, you know, because people might take exception to your exception. <laughs> Speaking of, um, one brewer who took exception to another brewer using uh, a title um, has won a legal battle. A judge has cancelled Urban Alley uh, Brewery's Urban Ale trademark after a legal battle with fellow brewer La Seren. The Melbourne-based Urban Alley instigated the legal battle back in 2018, which culminated in a hearing in June last year. The brewery basically claimed that the use of the urban pale name by Lyceren constituted an infringement of its trademark, as well as misleading and deceptive conduct in breach of consumer law. But last week, a judge ruled that Urban Alley's Urban Ale trademark would be cancelled. Justice O'Brien found that the Urban Ale mark is not, uh, quote, inherently adapted to distinguish Urban Alley's beer products from those of other beer products. So that one's been going a while. It's taken a while for that one to, to come down. But, uh, yeah, it was an interesting one. And, and interesting, too, that, um, that Zev, who inst- who started um, the brewery back when it was, what was it, Matt? It was Collins Street? Yeah, Collins uh, Street. Was it Collins it Street Collins Brewing Street. and they had one spitter was the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was that, that was the thing. It, 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 as I was sort of trying to find exactly what they were wanting to achieve um the, the idea evolved you know over a considerable time until now they've got a very strong you know the, the urban you, you've spoken to uh shaya um or shaya to shaya um, yep 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 uh last year um had a very interesting uh, chat and now they've, they've got their brand where they want it to be and so yeah look it, as with all of these things pete it's you know it, it, it's a shame that small breweries had to engage in expensive litigation yeah um over it was it worth it is what i've the thing that popped into my head i was like why have you made such an effort over this like well, why don't you, can't you just yeah, call like, have... i'm under the impression that the industry is like collegiate enough to just call them up and be like look mate this is yeah well, but, it, see, and is that not actually something that's not in the show notes but um <laughs> it is an illustration of um 
why trademarks matter, you know, because you sort of think, well, I've got a strong brand. I don't need to trademark it because everyone knows it's mine. Um, <laughs> this week, I wanted to, there was just a beer I wanted to, to, to get um, and I didn't want to, there was just one beer I wanted um, and I won't go into the reasons, but I wanted to get it. So I jumped onto our, you know, I wanted to jump onto our good friend's uh, beer cartel and just order a can, get it sent for research purposes. Rather than type in uh, beercartel.com.au, um, I just threw into Mr. Google um, beer cartel. You know, you had the links because I'd Googled beer cartel, just assumed that the first link would be beer cartel, clicked on it, Googled the beer I wanted, went through, bought it, and suddenly I got a email confirming from craft cartel. Did you click on the one that said add at the top? Yeah, but we would have said that. But oh, again, you aren't supposed to be able to buy someone else's name like that on Google. That's, well, again, I, I haven't looked into it, but all I know is that you know I remember at the time the beer cartel. And it, look, it's, it's hard talking about this because beer cartel are obviously a sponsor of the podcast. But I'm sorry, I can only relate what happened to me um, during the week. But I remember at the time James Atkinson wrote an article looking at the issue because beer cartel was very very upset. They had been trading as beer cartel for some time. It's not something that they can trademark because it's. I, I think it's too generic, or maybe they have trademarked it, but specifically. But it doesn't stop somebody else who wants to use the name cartel um, from using it. And so then you get the situation where, you know, I was left feeling that they had capitalised on confusion over the name in in a way that had actually you know, taken keywords or advertised or taken a Google ad that was designed to, if somebody was Googling beer cartel, craft cartel um, was the first one to come up and get the, and they certainly benefited from that confusion. And, you know... And that's rife, that is. People well, buying the competitors are like the keywords for them. Well, see, buying the keywords mm. is one thing because that's, you know, if, if somebody's looking for Jim's Mowing, for example, yeah, and you've yeah. got a mowing service, you know that they're looking for that. Mm -hmm. But when you choose a name that is, you know... <laughs> similar. Similar and uh, uh, confusingly right. yeah, similar yeah, and then do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that... Cheeky. Yeah, I mean, so, so anyway, so, so that's one of the reasons why trademarks are important because you can't just rely on somebody saying... Oh look, everyone in you know craft beer is a great industry. Everyone will be okay, um, and everyone will do the right thing. Um, because you know, I, I looked at the Pacific Ale one. You, know, you sort of think, well, Pacific Ale, it, it's generic-ish, but you know, a lot of brewers said, well, Stonewood created this thing, so we'll call our homage a summer ale, or we'll call it a you know an Australian summer ale, or you know or whatever. And then suddenly you get people calling it Pacific Ale because they. They, they could. So, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things that trademarks are fraught and to some extent it relies on the good nature of everybody in the industry to even in, in, enforce them because otherwise you have to go nuclear and go to very, very expensive, um, you know, legal action yeah, exactly. to, to, to try and defend it if, nope. if we can't all play nice. And I mean with this one though, James Omond, thank you very much, James, for your comments and analysis on this one actually. Um Obviously, we're not trademark experts, so it's great to get um, James's take. And basically, he said uh, you can't and shouldn't be able to trademark a beer style, which is 
sort of the crux of the argument on this one is that Urban Ale was supposed to be a beer style, that Urban Alley, um, Collins Street as was, um, wanted to trademark themselves. But the point was that you aren't supposed to be able to trademark a style, and that's why they got their um, trademark cancelled, because the judge was like, I don't know why this has happened, like, this shouldn't have been a trademark in the first place, so... Like, it's not a name, it's a style, and you can't... Like, the same with, I think we mentioned the um, paracetamol, pan, Panadol thing. You can't trademark paracetamol, but you have a brand name, Panadol, you can... That's fine to trademark. So if they'd done the... I'm not sure if they'd done the once bitter, whether that would be any different. Like, if mm. they trademarked once bitter instead of urban ale. Yeah, well, and, and that's where trademarks aren't complicated, because, you know... Um, I, I, for example, I couldn't trademark beer mat because beer mat is the name of a thing, and yet that's my business. Um, and it, it, so, but, but they are really, really hard. But even if you've got the trademark, to some extent, you rely on other people respecting that, because otherwise, you've got to, you know, to, to actually enforce it is a expensive process. And it, actually, just as a disclaimer for, for listeners that don't know, I um, gave affidavits um, as a professional witness in, or as a, not a professional witness, as a expert, expert witness, witness. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, both of those cases. So, you know, I, I'm not offering any observation on it um, at, at all, and I have to give that disclaimer, but it, 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 it's a fraught business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just amazed, actually, that um, the brewer at La Seren hasn't come after you with regards to your beer mat. Why is that? <laughs> you know, Coaster. What? Oh my god. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, He's got his head uh, in his hands now. What's up? Costa Nikius. Oh god. IBA increases focus on traineeships. The Independent Brewers Association Director Richard Adamson said the association is focused on ensuring accessible training and education options to brewers of all skill levels across Australia. Uh, The head of the IBA's People Program uh, Group told a Radio Brews News Brewery Pro podcast that the association has been working closely with TAFE nationally to increase the coverage of training. Richard Adamson is leading the association's People Project Group and said currently the IBA is advocating and assisting in getting more training and education courses up and running through TAFE network in Australia, um, which is which is great. And it's something that we've, um, I know the IBA, since its inception, has had on its radar as something that we, we need to do. Uh, in the past, you know, we've had Federate, well, was then Ballarat, University of Ballarat had a, a course, now Federation Uni. Uh, Edith Cowan in WA had one and uh, South Australian TAFE with Stephen Nelson. But there's been, you know, the this, this is a good step in the right direction, I think, Matt. And in related news, um, South Australia uh, has funded a brewing traineeship pilot. Great example of why we need an association such as we have. Um, you know, it, it, it is something that governments don't want to try and negotiate with, you know, 85 breweries individually and having an association that can lead the charge and can work through these issues and take those issues um, to governments is, is really powerful. And... The flip side is it's really exciting to see that governments are starting to recognise that the small brewing industry is something that is worth uh, investing in. It's a $45,000 pilot traineeship that will see 12 brewery workers trained through a Cert 3 in food processing uh, brewing. Announced at Prancing Pony Brewery last Sunday, Minister for Innovation and Skills, David Pizzoni, said the South Australian government had partnered with the IBA to create traineeship opportunities and upskill workers in the state's growing craft beer industry. Uh, Employers involved in the project include Barossa Valley Brewing, 
Beer Garden Brewing in Port Lincoln, Big Shed Brewing Concern, and Prancing Pony Brewery and Spark. So there we go. So that's yeah. Again, it's just great to um to see that Cert Three in food processing brewing. So I'd imagine it's a reasonably uh, a basic, a, a good starting point. Yeah, I think um, from what I understood of it, it was like if you'd been in sort of a brewery setting, um, you'd had a bit of experience, but you weren't like head brewer level. It's not like a super advanced, but it's like not quite entry level, um, if that one makes sense. Um, but I think it's awesome because every time I speak to, a, I guess, major, mainly larger breweries now, um, they say a lot of the issue is skill shortages. They can't find um, people with the right level of skills with the um, skills. And obviously the thing with brewing is the the techniques that people use and everything like that is so different, um, brewery to brewery. Um, it can be hard to sort of come up with a uniform um training program that sort of fits into everybody, everybody's way of working. Um, so this move is a pretty awesome step um, towards that. Yeah, and good to see, uh, as I say, government getting involved. And the key thing for me there was that, uh, you know, um, almost begrudging admission that um, it's a growing industry, um, that this craft beer thing has actually got legs and is, is now worth their attention. And worth investing in. And so, Pete, on that, just talking about the training, because the, the interesting thing about the... TAFE level training or the traineeship training is you obviously do the brewing elements, you know, like you, you learn about the yeast and ingredients and the, the sip and all of that sort of stuff. But I, I was speaking to uh, a young bloke uh, this week who was doing a degree in aviation. And, you know, I just expressed surprise that, you know, God, they make you do a degree for that these days. You know, I thought once upon a time they just taught you to fly a plane. And, you know, he sort of said, well, yeah, they, they do, but you also learn about um, employee management and, you know, so HR and you sort of learn about, you know, workplace health and safety and a lot of the things that if you're just, you know, doing pilot training and you learn how to take off land and, you know, fill up a plane and those sorts of things, then you're not learning the broader skills that you need when you're working in, in a business. And, you know, one of the things that we have really seen over the last 10 or 15 years as the craft beer industry uh, grows is that the guys who or the guys and girls who um, started brewing in a garage decided to go pro opened it you know quite often there you hear them saying you know I wish I'd known this element of marketing or I wish I'd you know known understood this about you know managing staff and HR and when you do have a business it's not just brewing You've got to learn all of the skills um, around brewing. And, you know, the the good thing about the Cert 3 traineeship is it's not just here is how you, you know, inoculate yeast or, you know, in, in, into a beer. You are learning those broader elements that form a base for as you progress in your industry, you do have those basic broader level skills as well. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great thing to do. Yeah. Uh, speaking of broader level skills, you clearly didn't have during the week. Uh, those people who follow Matt on Facebook would have seen that he had clearly no confidence in the uh, skill levels of a particular pilot. I, I know you, you jumped out of a plane before it landed, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Pete. That was uh, yeah. For, for those who don't follow me, I uh, had a uh, parachute jump gifted to me for my fiftieth birthday, and I took it on the weekend. <laughs> the pictures are great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I post. Well, I, 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 were they selectively edited? 
<laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. You, look, no, you, look, you looked quite calm and you know, you'd, oh, yeah, no, you'd photoshopped over the whiteness of your knuckles. And... It, 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 it's Facebook. I put the heroic version of myself. But <laughs> I do, look, and, and to be fair, like it is terrifying. Um, and you know, I, I did look rather um, serious as the video captures me sliding towards the door of the plane. Um, but very quickly, once you actually are out of the plane, you're pretty much helpless because gravity takes care of everything. And it, well, it, I, I would assume the parachute has some part in it. Well, funnily enough, not, I was enjoying the free falling so much that when it, it almost came as a rude shock when the parachute deployed because I'd forgotten about that part. <laughs> the, the falling was such fun. Um, you know, you've got a great view. It's a, it's a bit of an experience. And then suddenly you, you, you pull up short. And, and it was then I thought, oh, that's right. But anyway, um, yeah, so, so I did that and it was... Uh, yeah, but the Facebook photos are showing my heroic self and only because when you look at the rest of the photos, it's not that I'm terrified, it's that my cheeks um, are flapping around my ears. G-Force um, did a number on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you're going at quite a speed and those photos that you sort of see of people with their faces blown, you know, with, with it, it's, it's pretty much just like that. So yeah, I, I just sort of spared the photos where... Um, I, not that I look terrified, but yeah, my cheeks are somewhere <laughs> sitting behind my ears. <laughs> and look, while we're um, pumping Matt's tyres up, um, congratulations on your second essay in uh, Flagship February. Oh, mate, thank you. Yes, yeah. So look, at, for, for those who haven't been following it, I mean, we have shared it um, on, on various channels, but Jay Brooks and uh, Stephen Beaumont, who we've had on the podcast previously, um a couple of years ago, you know, it was around about 2017, I think they conceived the idea, just as you started seeing the headwinds that the big um, you know, pioneering craft breweries were going into, the New Belgiums, the Sierra Nevadas, you know, they'd come off volume. And it was an initiative of some of the, I, I guess, older beer writers you know, who had once been excited and innovated by these pioneering craft breweries and had noticed that you know, a, a, a newer generation of craft beer drinkers probably didn't give them the respect that they deserved. You know, not because, you know, like a pale ale these days, say Little Creatures Pale Ale, just isn't um, exciting to people anymore um, in, in, in a world of pastry stouts or, you know, pastry neepers and sours and things like that and, and ever-changing beer world. You just don't see that level of excitement for those beers and so they came up with this idea of celebrating the flagship beers um, in the industry the 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 beers that are really highly that that were very important Um, and I was invited to be the Australian uh, correspondent to to that international program and last year I wrote about Cooper's Sparkling Ale as a like as an undoubted flagship and this year I wrote about um, Pacific Ale and uh, you know could you just qualify that Matt? You meant uh, the, the, the original Stone and Wood, Stone the original Pacific Ale. Yes, yeah. thank you. Sorry. Well, see, the thing, you should just be able to, you know, it's such a pioneering beer, you should just be able to say Pacific Ale and everyone knows who it is. But anyway, such is the world that we live in. Um, but anyway, um, and so I wrote about the original uh, Pacific Ale by Stone and Wood. My philosophy is, you know, what do you say about a beer? You have to drink a beer to experience it because beer is made, the beer that I drink today was made on a different day than the beer you're going to drink um in Perth or Melbourne, it's gone through a different lifespan. It's going to be you're going to have a different experience with that beer. So writing a basically a taste note doesn't 
mean anything. So I wrote it, you know, my point of view, my approach was to come at it from why it's such an important beer. And uh, yeah, go and read the essay. But Pete, it was funny when I did look back at the 12 years ago that the beer was conceived. And I looked at the things that I was writing about then and the things that were big then. And, you know, it, it, it was when East Coast, West Coast um, IPAs weren't even a clearly defined style in those days. That was only starting to be written about in 2009, 2010, that West Coast IPA had come as a clearly defined style. Um, so we, we were deep in the IBU wars, and it was even um, 2010 that McKellar came out with the 1,000 IBU beer, which was you know, oh. designed to really you know, show, well, if a little bit of hops is good, a lot is even better. Um, and you it really... You get to 1,000 IBUs, though. Is that realistic? We talked about No, that. no, no. It was, it was, it was, I think they described it as theoretical IBUs. Oh, they right. calculated how much hops you would put in a beer to get, assuming that you got um, it all isomerized and it all converted. Right. And, and that. So it was basically, you know, um, diluted hop oil. But I think they also conceded, from memory at the time, they also conceded that the human palate can only detect up to, you know, 130 IBU or something. I, I think there was something about oh, that. Because yeah. right. it's a chemical reaction. Like it's, a, it's just like your speedo. If your speedo only goes to 110. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, because I know I hadn't tipped you off that I'd written that piece, but when you read it, you know, did that sort of take you in the Wayback Machine thinking about, well, you know, it, it came out of a really unique time? Yeah, and that's what I mean. It was it was a the thing I particularly liked about the the way that you'd written it and, and your approach was yeah that it was sort of for me it spoke to me because you know I said oh yeah I was there uh, and it really I, I guess threw into sharp sharp contrast that nowadays we don't you know it's important that we that we do think of flagship beers for a start because uh, and I see Tim Fishwick um, posted this you know his thoughts on you know still has a real I guess a love, a special place in his beer heart for um, Little Creatures Pale Ale. You know, that's that's where he sort of started his 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 career. He's obviously moved through um, through Rocks and then through uh, Bolter and now onto his own gig. Those those flagship beers are very important, but it's also I think a, a good lesson for new players to say, yeah, look, chasing the next big thing is not necessary. You know, because there'll always be another new thing. So that it's kind of a I don't know. It's a no end game. So yeah, your piece really took took me back. But last year when it was announced, there was a little bit of derision from again, like it's because it's very much a generational thing. And you know, I, I don't want to make this, you know, you know, back in my day or you know, I, my generation fought the war because we we didn't. It's beer at the end of the day. Use old man radio. Yeah, well, well, that which is why we've got Claire now um, on the wireless, <laughs> and Claire. Would, Quite happily, tell me I'm wrong, as she does seven or eight times a day. I do. Um, <laughs> but she's probably right. <laughs> I um, usually am. As I said, broken clock. I just have to be right once a day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so and, and 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 I completely get that. And people who have that view are completely right in their perspective. But I guess the the the, the reason that flagships matter and the reasons that they deserve some um, you know some respect. Um, is because what they once represented. And we don't want to turn craft beer into camp camera where you in turn fossilise it at something in a way that it can't move on and it can't evolve because you know, that's just as deadly to craft beer as being you know too experimental or thinking that everything has to be experimental. But it's understanding these as milestones in the journey. And 
I, I, I think to have the view that celebrating flagships is you know ridiculous or wrong or pointless is to forget that it, you know in 2008 it wasn't that long you know little creatures founded in 2000 so 20 years ago and there was a handful of breweries mountain goat holgate uh, you know a handful, literally a handful of breweries before then and you had no choice in bars and if you want to celebrate the choice and the excitement that we've got in the beer industry now um, you have to at least tip your hat at the the the, the, the brewers that created the situation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. what I Lest we forget. As a, as a <laughs> human that could not drink at the time when Pacific Ale came out and uh, was in another country, um, it was really interesting to hear about the um, background of and the context um, of when Pacific Ale came out. It was awesome. And yeah, I recommend it. Give it a read. It's something I've come back to a few times, particularly in you know, the, the case of... It, it's a little bit like my GABS metric. You know, I've, I've got this uh, this um, rule about acceptance or interest in craft beer. Because the legal age to drink is 18, Little Creatures started... And Little Creatures, even though there were breweries that preceded it and the momentum has taken um, off after it, it founded in around about 2000. So beer drinkers who turned 18 you know, people who turned 18 in that year exist in a post little creatures world and you know the young the, the closer you are to 18 now the more you have been immersed in a in, in a craft beer world and the less respect you're going to give little creatures because you don't remember a time before little creatures and so many other things have, have taken over so 38 is one of those benchmark years next year it'll be 39 as time rolls on but there is, you know, there is this progression of people who are going to remember a time before Little Creatures and that will shape your relationship and attitudes to craft beer. Um, and that's something that brewers need to be cognizant of as because time rolls on and tastes roll on and fashions roll on and even the, the idea of what craft beer is is going to keep rolling on. I'm going to break into Old Man River now, Pete. <laughs> no, I won't because you'd see Matt out on the porch, on the rocking chair, strumming my band with the little, the little, the little crocheted lap rug. Get off oh, my land! <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly on. Oh, dear, and dear. performing the rest of the show will be Claire. I'm just going to sit over here. Yeah, with my rocking chair. That's it. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Uh, uh, moving on to from a Matt to uh, Macca. Maka Hajar, the, the uh, artist formerly known as Mazan Hajar, uh, Maza to his mates. I wonder if, um, yeah, we should really get in touch with the boys at your mates and see if they can do a uh, a new a new beer um, oh, in their in funny. their series called Maza. Maza, because okay. yeah. well, that way maybe also Hawkers, you know, that's about as close as Mazan will get to getting a beer in the Gab's Hottest One Hundred. Melbourne's Hawkers oh, beer has no, launched. Well, no, but I actually. Could, <laughs> Well, so I congratulate it because I think they're late to the party is a genius name. Um, you know, it, it, it's having a little bit of a, you know, a tug at your own um, forelock um, of that we were late to the party and so having a joke at your own expense. By all accounts, it's, a, it's an incredible beer, judging by the, you know, I, I think it might be a beer that if people remember it come voting time, it's a beer that could have a, uh, you know, a chance of cracking the hottest 100. There you go. Heard it here first. Yeah, and look, and, and that you touched on something interesting there, Matt, just before we get into the, the news about the equity crowdfunding from Hawkers. But um, it's one of those things that I think people underestimate or undervalue the value of Hawkers is that yeah, rather than just go, oh, boom, everyone is doing this, let's go out and do one. 
they'll do a lot more pilot batches and a lot more research. They'll, um, you know, uh, if they're at Brucon or um, uh, CBC, uh, or it, they'll they'll try the originals. You know, so okay, what was the progenitor of this of this style? How you know what's the going going back to sort of you know ground zero? Who was you know the first beer that tried this? Okay, what is it about this? Rather than just uh, I guess racing to be a a, a me too kind of um, brand. So I think late to the party is great. Like you say, it's it's a nice tongue in cheek reference, but it's also I think significant in the fact that yeah we're going to wait until we're comfortable that as a brand we can do something that that a, a version of a style that we we can be proud of. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's very, <laughs> very much part of their their <laughs> DNA. Absolutely. But then, having said that, they're not a brand that says oh everyone else is doing it, so we will too. What's the next story? Um, <laughs> Uh, Hawkers, Melbourne's Hawkers Beer launched a $1.1 million <laughs> Me Too equity crowdfunding campaign today to fund a taproom development and increase capacity. Uh, Hawkers founder Mazen Hajar said the 170 capacity taproom and additional 40 hectolitre tank capacity would allow them to better service their community. Which this includes the Hawkers staff who are also set to be recipients of an employee share scheme with the brewery. Latest in a long line um, doing equity crowdfunding. Now I'm quite... Um cautious on the equity crowdfunding one because in the UK we've obviously had it for a fair bit longer and I know you guys have um, talked about it um, on the podcast before um, but they can go horribly wrong and you know I said to Mazen when I had a chat to him for the article I was like so you know like we've had like Red Church and things like that in the UK they've not done well they were basically losing money and then still did a crowdfund all this kind of stuff he's like how do you, how do you feel about um, the investors being protected and all that type of stuff and he was like look you know, people, it's their own money. They probably won't put that much in. Um, and he said he believes in the ASIC protections um, that are around that. So, I mean, that's the thing. Every investment is a risk. And I think we've just got to be cognizant of the fact that um, you should never, ever invest more than you've got. Well, and, and Claire makes a great point there, Pete, because whenever we speak to the equity crowdfunding businesses, on the one hand, they always launch prospectuses talking about the returns that people have got through, you know, for example, BrewDog One, and they, they refer to it as an investment because technically it is an investment. But then, they, you know, when you sort of question them about that, they sort of say, well, it's actually a way for people who are engaged in a, in a brewery to enhance their engagement in the brewery and, and start taking the conversation away from it being an investment. And, you know, I... Equity crowdfunding is, is is a risk, and I you know I certainly you, you, I I feel very uncomfortable calling it an investment because very few people will ever get a any form of return beyond the non discounted beers or yeah like the rewards you know, limited stuff, edition yeah. beers or yeah loyalty sort of rewards yeah. yeah and and you can feel like you're part of a company and those sorts of things but I feel very uncomfortable calling it a investment for that reason and then because of that I, th I also think that there are certain brands and you know again all credit to BrewDog because they are one of them they are ones that have that have used people's emotional engagement in their brand to monetize and, and monetized it um, so it's so the engagement of brand is essentially becomes a product rather than an investment even though a lot of people are hoping that they're going to get a return and it, it, when I look at a business like Hawkers, 
you know, Muzzin is famous for being fiercely proud about their quality and those sorts of things, but not being involved in and consciously avoiding the hype train, um, which does count against him in things like the Hottest 100 because he doesn't, you know, he, he's, he's you know, sneers probably not the right word, but he is dismissive of some of the brands that, you know, facilitate that excitement and the engagement. Um, and yet, so, so it, it just sort of, feels a little bit odd to me that they are now going into something that he, he says it's to increase engagement in our brand and you know give us a home where people can engage with us and those sorts of things and yet he's doing it as a investment route um, and I, yeah so it's just one of those um, you know good luck to him um, and uh, Hawkers is a terrific brewery and all of those sorts of things but you know I, I, it, it just there's just something that doesn't quite there, there's a bit of um, uh, dissonance between dissonance. the equity crowdfunding and the Hawkers model. Yeah, well, we wish them well. We'll see how it goes. One point one billion. It's a fair bit to to get, but um, as I say, it's, it's clearly something that, that they, as a business, feel that they that they are missing um, mm. is that that front of house um, aspect, which, um, as we've seen for so many other brands, it, it's it can really be a, a, a not just a revenue stream, but it's a very important um, you know branding tool. And at a risk of cross-promoting, Pete, actually, because that, that, that's the other element of this is that, you know, Hawkers has always missed that tap room um, or, you know, that, that, that place of engagement. And A, I'm really, really interested to see, because of the way they have activated their business differently to a lot of other breweries, I'm really interested to see how they, you know, what their, what the Hawkers interpretation of a tap room will be. Um, because I really want to experience, I really want to see how they manifest their brand through that. But the second thing is, and to um, cross-pollinate or cross-promote, um, really interesting podcast on Beer as a Conversation this week with uh, Professor Sam Holloway from Crafting a Strategy, which is, is uh, he's a business professor that has a specific inf- interest in brewing. And he talks a lot about this, that you know it's incredibly hard for a business to these days have a wholesale or distribution only strategy and they need to really look at this and you know I'm, I'm wondering if this isn't um, a practical manifestation of some of the things that Sam said so yeah very much uh, recommend it was a fascinating chat really interesting had some uh, um, really interesting insights into the business of beer yeah uh, now speaking of raising money uh, Matt have you got uh, $125 to buy a bottle of beer that's even more than the um, Crown Ambassador Reserve yeah, um, yeah, that that came from Josh Cable uh, from the uh, yeah, um, Radio Brews News Facebook group. Thank you to and amazing conversations going on there, mate. Look, value is what you perceive value to be um, is is one thing. There was a whole lot of um, dismissing of beer as a category in the, in this article um, because when you say that a beer isn't worth ninety six pound, you're saying all beer is Carlsberg. Um, and Carlsberg isn't worth 96 pounds. You've taken no time to understand the process that's gone into it. And absolutely, beer can be worth, uh, um, you know, 125, $150. Yeah. If we should point out, it's a 750 mil bottle too, so it's not your Carlsberg yeah. 330 or it's you know 345, whatever. Yeah. Mate, I, but I'm absolutely not going to go out and spend $400 on a bottle of wine because I'm not engaged in the act of drinking wine enough to get the value out of that. Um, And to to my palate, like a $75 bottle of wine and a $400 bottle of wine aren't going to, I'm never going to get the incremental improvement 
over those, um, particularly given so much of that improvement is the status of having it and things like that. So the beer in question is um, from um, Belgian brewery Oud Biersel, and it's their Bizart, B-Z-A-R-T, an 8% lambic, wild fermented, aged and blended over several years, and in this case, unusually charged with champagne yeast. So well, there we go. It, is it that unusually charged? Because that's, I think, isn't that what a lot of brewers have done to get a yeast that will su- survive? Survive, like, yeah, yeah, anyway, over five percent. I think we've already talked about this one too much. It's yeah, absolutely. So, but but thank you because it was always thank interesting you, Josh. Read, uh, yeah, and thank you to everyone that's been participating. Great discussions and one that's been that's ongoing uh, about um, the marketing of beers as being sugar laden at the moment. Mm. But we'll. Yes, yes, there was quite a bit of that. Um, uh, yeah, and, and also, you know, we, we've obviously in this episode talked a bit about, you know, the way that, um, you know, beer is marketed and labelled. Hey, Matt, one three hundred eight five two two three five. that's the number for Relling's label stickers and packaging, speaking of labels, and we do thank them for sponsoring our podcast. We do, and if, if a beer had a beautiful label on it, that would go a long way to making me realise that it was a beer that was worth spending more money on. <laughs> Excellent. Nicely done. Actually, Pete, just on that, um, just because like the, the, the Rallings guys are you know, avid listeners and we sort of do discuss a lot of the topics that come up off, including sometimes their product. One of the things that you know, Rallings do say is that when they go in and speak to brewers, so this is really a continuation of the ad, but it's, um, you know, and it's dedicated to the people who are working in breweries, but there's a, there, there, the mindset is that Rallings just print the labels and the brewers get them and then they have to buy the machine to shrink it onto their cans. Um, and so that becomes a bit of a barrier to them doing it. No, 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 no. Rallings actually do the printing. They put it on the can. They hold the cans for you. And you say, look, we're doing a canning run next week. This is how many cans we want. So they take all of the fuss out of it. So if you are looking at genuinely small batch um labeling runs and you want the convenience of not having to store it all on site and things like you just want awesome design on a small batch can rallings are your people and give us that number again pete one three hundred eight five two two three five um and yeah they didn't ask me to say that that wasn't part of the ad but it, it was one of the things that they'd highlighted so we're here to sort of communicate their product and that's how i do it we shall dive uh elbow first into the mailbag and we do thank uh, our very good friends, who we mentioned before, at Beer Cartel. That's Beer Cartel, www.beercartel.com. Type it in. Type yeah. the whole thing type, in. Don't type be the whole sucked thing in to those dodgy Don't, Google ads the way that I it. was. That's it. Don't let the Google machine trick you. They will make sure that everyone gets a uh, – everyone who writes to us and gets read out will receive a Bruise News Bar Blade and one lucky listener or writer – will receive a six-pack of Australian independent craft beer. Thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel. One of those who is eligible is Blair Hughes, who said, Hi, team. Just wanted to say thanks for the podcast. I've learned so much just by listening to the pod over the past year while out and about uh, driving between venue visits, tastings, and deliveries. And it's just been really helpful for educating me more and making more connections and networks. So once again, thanks and keep up the great work. That was very nice. Thank you for that, Blair. Uh, Who wants to read out the one... uh, uh, from uh, we got from Michael Morgan, Morgan, and from Trev Burks regarding the uh, um, Southwest well, we, Craft Beer Festival. I think we've done the Southwest yeah. Craft Beer Festival well enough. So, but thank you to Michael Morgan who uh, you know, who weighed into the, the Facebook group, and then um, Trev Burks uh, in the comments said, as some of you know, I'm festival director for an Australian independent breweries only event. The offers have come, and it's easy to say no. Short term sugar hit damages the brand long term and takes the shine off it for the locals that attend and breweries that participate. 
it feels to me like mates making exceptions for mates with a bit of cash thrown in to seal the deal. So, um, you know, I, I can understand that perception. And, you know, to Trev's point, um, I completely understand that if you sell yourselves as being the, you know, a thing and then you make exceptions to it, it does hurt the brand. But then again, you know, there, there are lots of different ways you can crack a beer festival. Yeah. Well said. And uh, and again, um, I mentioned to Josh Gable, who pointed out the uh, 96-pound beer. 96-pound, as in that's not heavy. That's the expense. Um, beer. Matt, thanks very much. Um, oh, a couple of shout-outs. Um, first of all, to uh, this, this weekend, Ballarat Beer Festival. So if you're up that way, get out and enjoy the Ballarat Beer Festival now in its eighth or ninth year. Um, really terrific. Uh, I think the... The Brewers' dinner on the Friday night possibly all sold out by now. There might still be a couple of tickets left, and that's always a, a really great fun night out. Um, and the other one is uh, Ale Stars. The uh, St Kilda local tap house has got their uh, Ale Stars for uh, the month of February, which is a really interesting one and very relevant, hopefully, to our listeners. Um, it, rather than a style or a particular brewery being showcased, um, the topic is journalism. So five of the best, Matt. Uh, we get an extra. You normally only get four beers and, and one I, guest. I, I, this time really you get five beers uh, and five to, to be in the audience for that one. So, yeah, so if you get the chance, you, you know, whether you listen to Ian McNally's uh, awesome Chosen Brew Pod, chosen um, brew, whether yeah. you read Froth, whether you read Crafty Pint, whether you read uh, Ale of a Time or you read us, um, you know, the the, the all-star lineup uh, from from those, from that group um, just makes it worth going to alone. So yeah, quite apart yeah. from the beers. That's it. And look, as Blair uh, mentioned too, I'll just one more shout out because um, it just reminded me, uh, people who do listen to it in the car, we do have a new listener, uh, my, my best mate, Dr. Lager, who doesn't listen, he's useless, but his good lady wife, uh, Fiona, uh, has got a new teaching job where she drives up into the country. And so she's got a fairly long thing. And she said, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm now starting to, rather than just music, you know, I'm using podcasts to sort of, you know, get interest in things uh, other than, you know, teaching and just to sort of, particularly when she's coming back home you know before you get into the city just to sort of switch off and uh you know uh not think about uh, the 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 daily grind um who is now a new listener to uh to bruise news so i said i'd um give her a shout out and now she gets to listen to the dad jokes that got you disinvited to their dinner parties that's uh, it well more importantly <laughs> now she can go home and she can mention all this stuff to doctor and you go how, how do you what do you mean how do you know that much about beer and uh so it'll be our secret because he didn't listen so as i say i can say anything i want about him but uh, yeah Thank you very much, Fiona. Welcome aboard. And to all our new listeners as well, because I did notice uh, quite a few new members to our uh, requesting to join the, the Facebook group, which is great. That's really growing, and it's really great to see the stuff that we don't even get time to talk about here. But um, And that's, I guess, the whole point of it is for people to engage, to bring things to our attention, uh, to have really good, genuine, interesting uh, debates and chats and discussion uh, about all things beer. I and think for it's those really who do apply, I mean, we still let you in anyway, but um, it just helps us if you use the code word soapbox just so we know that you've heard it on because it's the only place that we publish it is here so if you just pop yeah. soapbox in it lets us know that yeah actually this is a listener yeah because it's good to know who are the listeners versus you know who gets it uh, an invitation from a friend or who um, gets it through the australian bruise news website or uh, the facebook page for bruise news so there we go uh, Matt, thanks very much again for this thank week. Thank you, Pete. Always a pleasure. Yeah, and thank you to Claire for, for, for last week. And uh, sorry to, to speak so much this week. We used to it. <laughs> See what I mean, uh, I hope Pete? You, yeah, hey, hey, yeah. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. You give them.
just a little bit of rope. Anyway, <laughs> give some people an inch and they think you're a ruler. Um, thanks very much, Claire. Great to have you back again. And um, thanks to all our listeners. Look forward to seeing you all and hearing from you, or you hearing from us, uh, on the next episode of Brews News Week. And we're out. Boom. <laughs> Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. Beer.